Hello and welcome to Gravitas Wins Conversations. Today, I am honored to speak with Dr. Deborah. I read her book, The Art of Science Communication in a Single Sitting. It was super simple and it was very short. And it is to the point and it is very relevant for today's climate. I'm going to talk to her about her book, also about One Health, which I came to know only now. Hope you too will enjoy the conversation. Hello, Dr. Deborah. Welcome to the conversations. Thank you so much, Joseph. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. What prompted to write this book? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> this book, The Art of Science Communication, and then the subtitle is Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public, and Policymakers. I wrote it because there's been nothing like this book before. And honestly, I wish I knew all of this information 20 years before. That's what it was. After doing a lot of different projects, either working in classrooms, working with the general public in veterinary medicine, because I'm a veterinarian, um, or working on Capitol Hill, as we call it in the United States. I, I'm from Washington, D.C. right now, and I've worked with a senior senator working in the federal level of the United States government as a science policy advisor. After all of those experiences, I had written notes upon notes of lessons learned. And I'm looking at these notes and I'm like, this needs to be shared with the world. And thank you for doing that. Uh, the book is very relevant and it is very much needed. As you said, nothing like this exists. And as I read through the book, I was noting along, yes, yes, yes. And I highlighted one line after the other line and I've copied all of them into my notes. So, so you are right. And this book is absolutely needed. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Deborah, I wasn't even approaching at science. I was approaching from technology background. And I was saying, yeah, this is how we need to talk. Whether it is about blockchain, privacy, this is how we need to explain. So it is going to be useful not only from a science communication perspective, I think it is going to be useful from any controversial subjects. Now, Absolutely. can you tell us, you, you, you have talked a lot about these, how, what are the steps you have broken down into steps and uh, rules and all of those kinds of templates, all of these things you have done. How do you communicate a controversial subject to the other party? Uh, can, can you talk about it? Yes, actually, that refers to page 25 and 26 and 27. <laughs> so this book, as you said, is very concise. And I did that on purpose because I mentioned the importance of brevity, right? Yes. The importance of just getting your message out there and across. So I made this book into what I hope to be fairly simple pathways to follow. So on page 25, it goes speaking with the public about a controversial topic. And there are three rules that I lay out. Number one is be honest. Mm -hmm. Number two is educate. Uh, education is power. And rule, yep. And rule number three is lead a conversation. So what I mean by lead a conversation is that if you ever want to speak with somebody over a hot topic, you have to, number one, understand your audience. And mm -hmm. the first step of communication is to actively listen. 
because when you actively listen, you identify what their interests are, what their passions are, what motivates them to act, right? And that is indispensable knowledge because once you have that information, then you can cultivate your message, be it with technology or any other of the STEM or STEAM facets, you can tailor that message to meet the needs of your audience. But you can't be speaking to somebody. It's speaking with somebody that makes the difference and making sure that everybody feels appreciated regardless of their opinions when they approach this conversation. You worked with the senator and in that you would have talked to or expressed or presented to a lot of politicians. So can you give me an example of how you led this particular conversation in any of the topics that you would have presented to them? Um, I could say in the level where I was working in the United States Senate, oftentimes, and people don't recognize this, and I talk about this in the book, that there's a lot of conversations between staff members and staff members of different different offices. Um, so one senator is from one political party, another senator is from another, but the staff members speak with each other. Mm-hmm. And when we speak with each other, we learn what our bosses, what you know, each other's senators value. And um, we also identify what is important to that staff member. On December 19th of 2019, there was a piece of legislation. There was a, there was a, a bill that had passed uh, that was declaring January of 2020 to be National One Health Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. And why did that happen? It's because, um, well, if anybody knows me, they know what One Health is. It's just because it's my passion and that's what I like to talk about. And for the benefit of your viewers, um, One Health can be described in two different ways. It's a concept and it's an approach. The One Health concept is that interconnection between our health and the health of the environment, animals and plants. Makes sense. Sick environment, sick people. And then the One Health approach is teamwork between people of different backgrounds, discipline, strengths. We prevent and solve health problems. So... I came to Capitol Hill. I came to the federal government level with that passion. And I spoke with as many people as possible about that. The office where I was working um, thought that it was my, my boss thought that it was a good idea to have this declaration from the United States Senate to say, we appreciate the One Health approach. We acknowledge um, organizations that that work in that One Health space, which is, of course, at that time before COVID-19 existed, um, you know, something that was uh, definitely under the radar for many people. But how did I get that to fruition? Well, it's my boss, the senator, who's incredibly strategic. She, She says to me, this is a good idea, but you need to have a person from another party sign on to this. And once you get that, then we'll move forward. So it's strategy. Mm-hmm. So yep. I learn, I listen actively with the other staff member of this other uh, senator. And I did this many, many, many times uh, with many different offices and realized that the beauty with One Health is that it's so malleable. 
you can you can apply it to I challenge you you can apply it to anything on this planet it all ties back to one health um, and so with that knowledge I was able to cultivate relationships have a conversation lead a conversation and inspire action and it was a wonderful opportunity wow. Absolutely. We will talk about One Health in a little more detail. So what I'm hearing from you is you came into the federal organization, they're working with your senator, to bring in One Health into the top of the political discussions and by applying not all of this... Not exactly. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but not exactly. So I... I had the opportunity to work at the federal level because I was um, I was fortunate to have received a a fellowship position uh, with mm -hmm. it's associated with the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the people who create the science journal. Um, yeah. And I was sponsored through the American Veterinary Medical Association. So what that means is pretty much I, I was not a lobbyist. It was mm. just an opportunity for a veterinarian. And at that year, they only chose one person in the country. And I was thrilled <laughs> to be that person um, to allow a veterinarian to have an opportunity to see what life is like in policy. And before working in policy, I was doing clinical work and I was also teaching about One Health. Um, so I went to Capitol Hill, not necessarily with a mission to promote One Health. It's just who I am. I just mm. am passionate about One Health. I think that this was something that was not recognized in policy at that time. And um, certainly right now, there has been a lot of talk about One Health now that we are in 2021, 20, approaching 2022. You, you are right. So you said you were not a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. Was that a factor in the other parties, Senator, to see that, oh, here is somebody who is passionate about this particular thing. She's not doing it for some other purposes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Was, could that be a factor? Okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And they're used to, um, because AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, has had this fellowship program for decades now, the, uh, the offices on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. are accustomed to seeing scientists of different backgrounds just in random offices. <laughs> so um, when I approached somebody and I said, I'm a fellow associated with this program, they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm happy to talk. And it just went from there. Okay. Uh, one of the things that you talk about, which, which I have highlighted and I've thought about it multiple times, is that when we are talking about a controversial topic like climate change, it is not because of uh, it is not because of the malice and stupidity, but it is because of the lack of knowledge and trust. How do you build the knowledge? Is part is there? Maybe we can talk like this. We can uh, give a public speeches. We can create videos. All of that we can do it. So that knowledge part could be taken care of. How do you build trust? Yeah, that's that's a hard question especially if you don't approach a conversation the right way. And so what I recommend, and I know this through experience, that the best way to build trust is to first build relationships. 
And what did I say at the very start was the first step of communicating it's actively listening. Mm. So you come to a person who may have different points of views and focus on what you have in common. Focus mm. on that, build a rapport, make each other laugh, have fun mm. with that other person, see each other as individual human beings. We all have our strengths. We all have our areas for improvement, right? But, you know, we have similarities and I would focus on that and build that rapport at the start. Over time, say if we talk about climate change and keep in mind, some people are very adverse to hearing those two words together, climate change. They prefer to say changes to the environment. Mm. Fine. Okay. Whatever makes the other person more comfortable, as long as we get the message across, right? So you have to meet the audience at, you know, meet their needs, right? And communicate the way that they like to speak. And as long as we are good communicators, we can do that. So you can say just in passing, you know, I remember something about um, in chemistry class, how there are two different or actually several different types of carbon. And there's something like carbon 13 and 14. And if I remember right, they're weighed differently. And even though you actually know that they're weighed differently, you know, play it down a little bit. And say, and you know, just the other day, I looked this up again to refresh my memory. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Because based on those small differences, people could figure out where the source of that carbon is. Isn't that just wild? And then have a conversation from there. Because they don't necessarily know that you're talking about coal. They don't know that you're talking about fossil fuels or, you know, any of anything else, uh, let alone man-made pollution. We're not talking about that. We're just focusing on something as simple as carbon. And sure, maybe they have no interest in science, but if you look passionate about what you're saying and you're focusing on not us, you're focusing the conversation on something that's super cool and super interesting, then the other person will be like, Oh yeah, maybe I remember that. Or no, what did what did you hear? You see what I mean? And then you can further the conversation. But you Correct. have to build trust first. Yeah. I think what you said, and this is where we falter, is that we are talking to the person and we are not talking with the person. And you are absolutely right. And as I read through the book, I have made side notes on how I can apply in technology or even talking with my kids uh, when I'm talking about many of these uh, things. Now, interestingly, you also talk about talking to kids improves communication. Can you, you, you talk about that as well as uh, Toastmaster? And I know some of the Toastmasters I shared with this and they were like, we want to hear about that. So, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you talk about how talking to kids as well as Toastmaster, how it helped you sharpen your speaking skills? Right. Uh, wow. I could talk about this for the rest of the, the day, um, <laughs> but I, I will keep it succinct for you. Uh, let me just, for the benefit of the audience, explain what Toastmasters is. Toastmasters, I think the best way to explain it is it's a communication club. 
they advertise it as a public speaking club, but it's so much more than that. You learn how to provide feedback in a manner that allows the other person to become motivated to work rather than mm. shut down, you know, close down and worry, oh my gosh, did I just say that in public? You know, it's something like that. But it also teaches you how to speak on your feet. Mm. It teaches you how to deliver a message in a way that is memorable, hopefully memorable, <laughs> and uh, and can be emotional as well, evoke emotions from the audience. These are methods that of communication that can serve you well in any discipline. Mm, so that, that's true. one thing. And Toastmasters is a very safe environment. The nice thing about Toastmasters is it's a self-improvement club too. There's nobody there who doesn't want to improve. Who wants mm. that? Because you are going in front of a group of people and you're actively hearing feedback in front of those people. It's a very safe environment though. So that's one thing. And I've been doing Toastmasters since 2014. Mm. Now, in, um, and even before then, I was teaching students. I was teaching kids. And kids are honest. Yeah. Kids show you when they are bored. They show you when they don't understand. They are about the most honest audience you can ever get. And that mm. is such a treat for somebody who wants to improve their communication skills. True. Plus, plus you can't have an ego around a kid because a kid's immune to that. <laughs> like Kids don't know you from anybody else. So what do they care, right? So if you uh, use the opportunity of speaking with children to improve your communication skills by seeing how they react to some of the things that you're saying, then you can not only gain your confidence, but you can gain your skills mm. in communication. And then you can bring it out to the general public. You could speak to journalists. You could speak with politicians and other influencers. Very true. Thanks for uh, sharing that, uh, Dr. Deborah. Okay, so I want to move to One Health. I think it was fascinating when I was listening to your presentation to NASA and then few other uh, webinars that you had. But for the benefit of the audience, can you explain what One Health is and why does it matter? Oh, yeah, sure. So One Health concept is that interconnection between our health and the health of the environment, animals and plants. And then the One Health approach is teamwork between people of different backgrounds, disciplines, and strengths. And we prevent and solve health problems. So why does this matter? Take, for instance, the pandemic. Easy example. Unfortunately, yeah. everybody can understand this. Unfortunately, because I wish this had never happened, the pandemic, of course, but life is life and nature is nature. And that's the way it goes. But... There is no profession, there is no discipline that can solve such a complicated problem. Mm -hmm. It takes many different strengths, many different people to work together to actually address the economic challenges, the social challenges, the health challenges, and it goes on and on and on. The other day, um, because I live in Washington, D.C., and my family was visiting, we went to see, um, you mentioned NASA, so it reminded me of this, a space museum. And we saw a shuttle. 
and I'm looking at this massive space shuttle, massive. And I see a docent, I see some, a volunteer, he's there virtually. Um, and his face is on the television. And I ask, what are all of the professionals, what are all of the disciplines that were included in creating this? Mm -hmm. And he went through all of these different types of engineers, of course, chemical engineers, structural engineers, on and on and on, physicists, right? Airflow and all. And then what about physicians? Because we have to make sure the astronauts are healthy. What about, you know, and all of those things. And what can all of those people do working on one project? They can send somebody to the moon. Now, can you imagine how we as a human race can combine so many different professions mm. to work towards making people healthy and making the environment healthy and animals healthy all in one fell swoop? It is possible. And then can you imagine the possibilities after that is a regular occurrence? I can see the passion in your words and the way that you have been speaking. So, so it's wonderful. If not for anything else, at least for that particular passion, I'm going to dig deeper into this one health. And, and as you rightly said, as we, as we are going through this pandemic and God knows what other mutation that it is going to have, we have, we have been fi finding new variants of this and people are talking about another shutdown and lockdown that might, might come in. Now, this COVID has hit every country's economy. It was not just limited to some uh, country. Do we think political leaders, other leaders, social leaders, and us as common citizens, do you think we will take these health, environment health, a little more seriously now? And what can we do? Like you and I, you are at least in a leadership position, like say for example, common people. What can we do to take uh, these a uh, little more seriously and spread this particular knowledge? Uh, I was laughing when you say I'm in a leadership position because I don't, I feel like I'm one of many. I feel like I'm on the ground. Um, I do appreciate you saying that. That's very nice of you. Um, but so to answer your first part of that question, do I think moving forward at, you know, in 2022 and beyond, will there be more not only awareness, but promotion of One Health efforts. Yes. And I've already seen that spoken about at the G7, G20, COP26, um, and a lot of other places. A lot of uh, countries right now are trying to push out One Health approach uh, efforts to take a One Health approach, which is absolutely incredible. This is like mind-blowing for the people who've been in the one health space for the last 20 years or so this is mm. this is serious stuff because it was always on the back burner we were you know crying out this is important but nobody was listening right um so this is really really quite something but here's the thing you can talk about it or you can talk about it to lead to action and it's that action that mm. is we can't give up on this because our future depends on it. And I don't mean that to say, I, I don't, I don't want to say that um, and have it perceived as, oh yeah, sure. Our future depends on it, but it's true. Like our planet mm. 
truly depends on it. And there's no person, there's no superhero that's going to come around and save the planet on their own, their own, right? Just like there's no one discipline. Um, but what can we do on the ground? We can do lots of things. Number one, we can call up, if we live in a country, that is, it all depends on where you are on this planet, but we can call up or we can contact our elected officials and voice how it's important to protect our communities and our countries and our waterways and our air in order to promote health for all. Another thing, and more at a community level, you can hold community events mm. um, virtually, you know, where it's appropriate, of course, or in person, wherever it's safe, of course, because of course we're in the middle still of a pandemic. So not to um, have that misconstrued, but One Health Lessons, it's, it's an organization that I started. It's, um, it's an organization that inspires both children and adults around the world to value One Health. And we do that by providing high quality lessons, uh, high quality education to people around the world. And these lessons are being translated into 88 languages today was my last count. So pretty cool. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because you as an individual, regardless of where you are on this planet, you can go to onehealthlessons.com and see how you can get involved and either become a certified lesson leader and teach children about One Health and the thing is, the beautiful thing is, and you said that you have children, Joseph. So I've seen firsthand that children, if they can become passionate about something, if they like something, if they laugh at something from the classroom, then they can tell their parents. Mm, mm. Tell parents, you educate the parents at the same time. And that's how you can spread the message of One Health in your own community. And that's how you can build up the message of One Health up to the influencers. Wonderful. So um, yeah, that's that's one way everyday people like you and me can make yeah. a difference. And I'm gonna to talk to my kids about uh, One Health and the zootonic uh, diseases and everything. In fact, for while preparing for this, I talk to my kids about every guest, the topic and all of those kinds of stuff. And my, Younger son, he can remember names. Oh, you're talking to Dr. Deborah. You're talking to this guest and, and so on and so forth. See, he's, and he's only about eight, nine years old. So awesome. I'm going to talk to him more about these uh, things. You talk about zootonic uh, diseases. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, can you go a little deeper about it? And I think COVID is one of that kind of a disease. So can you, can you talk a little more about it? Yeah, thank you. So zoonotic diseases are diseases that can spread between different species. Um, that's the that's the most basic definition of it. If you speak with some biologists and some One Health experts, then you, you dive into the weeds. But let's not do that today. <laughs> it's not important for the conversation. So again, a zoonotic disease is a disease that can be transmitted between different species, um, including people. And that's that's the kicker, including mm. people. So mm. animals can give us diseases. We can give animals diseases. It mm. goes both ways. And so when we create an environment where 
we bring animals closer together amongst themselves, different species amongst themselves, say, for instance, in a, in a wildlife market where there are really stressed out animals, just like for you and me, whenever we get stressed, our cortisol level, our stress hormone goes up and then we start to have a weakened immune system and we start to show signs of sickness. Same thing happens in other animals. So if we create an environment where there are a lot of germs that can be spread in a very small environment and humans are walking around, well, that's, that's like a recipe for a disaster, right? And then that, that is an example at a wildlife market, for instance, a traditional uh, wildlife market, but it can also happen out in nature with deforestation because mm. these wild animals, they lose their home, they lose their food supply sometimes, and so they have to go out and look for it. So you see wild animals coming into cities because what are their, what's their other option, right? And again, we can give them diseases, they can give us diseases, so we don't want to have wild animals anywhere near us or near our domesticated animals. But the thing is, we can't get rid of wild animals because that will destroy our ecosystem and that just annihilates the food web. It destroys the food web as we see. So you might say, okay, well, you know, I don't like the species, so I'll get rid of it. But then their prey goes up in population and then another, you know, carnivore or whatever will come in and everything will be out of balance. Why? Why? It's because of the human impact on the environment. So what can we do? We can protect and respect that natural distance that we should have between wild animals and us. Uh, you, you also talked about, see, the deforestations and everything is happening. Again, it's another hot button uh, issue uh, because the population is increasing. So much population increasing, and we are one. I mean, one billion, uh, I think, or or I mean, at least in India, and then six billion and counting. We are. Uh, how can we stop people from encroaching on forest and other other places where animals are living? And how can we do it? Is that is there any possibilities at all that we can think of? This is where the innovators come in. Mm -hmm. This is where the entrepreneurs come in. Mm. This is where the One Health approach comes in. Because ultimately we can, instead of building out cities, we can build up cities. But still, where are our resources? Where is our food supply coming from, right? How are we gonna have sustainable farming? How are we going to protect um, the ecosystem so that we minimize the impact of humans on the rest of the planet, right? So what can technologists, <laughs> technicians, engineers, mathematicians, all the other factors uh, mm. in this world uh, contribute? And it's really, um, we have to start thinking about the world in a different way. And it's a, it's a big mind shift. So let me say one of my ideas, and I'm happy to have somebody in this world steal it. Please steal it because I don't have the energy to do it, but I want this to happen on this planet. Steve Jobs had once said uh, that you can, you can sometimes um, 
find success when you can only change a little bit. And I'm, of course, I'm paraphrasing a little, uh, you can change just a little bit of everyday life for somebody. So therefore, um, a phone, uh, a phone has to look like one of those landline phones, for instance, like a cell phone has to look like one of those landline phones. You know, it can't look so different. People right now, they don't want to give up their cars, you know, in the developed world, of course, and in other places. So what if an engineer and an innovator of some kind, working through the One Health approach, of course, working with a biologist, figures out a way to have a motorized vehicle that works just like a tree with photosynthesis? Mm. Then do we have to change our ways on this planet? People are adverse to change. So no, not necessarily, but you asked the important question. So are, how do we, how do we protect the environment? And a lot of people say, well, you know, plant more trees and sure. That's awesome. Yes. Plants are good. I'm a big fan of plants, but how are other ways we can get more quote unquote plants on this planet? Do you see what I mean? We have to have yeah. that forward thinking to get us out of this tunnel vision that we on this planet have. We have to have somebody just, just do it. Dr. Deborah, it has been fantastic talking about One Health and science communication. And I want to move on to some general questions that I ask all of my guests. And you have worked with the senior most uh, senator in the U.S. Senate. And along that, you would have worked with a lot of other leaders as well, not, not just political leaders. What are the qualities of leaders that you admire? I have been very fortunate to, ha to have been in the same room as a lot of my role models. Um, mm. But I would have to say that the two qualities would be grit and adaptation, the ability to mm. adapt. Mm. The only thing constant on this planet is change, right? So you can't be a leader forever if you don't know how to adapt. What's your definition of living a good life? Such a good question. I would say, I'll be objective about this. I'd say if you can laugh five times a day and by the time you go to sleep, say five things that you're grateful for, you're living a great life. Awesome. I think I've already laughed five times in this conversation. I've done my day. Yes. <laughs> Winning. <Yeah. laughs> Good. What's the kindest thing anyone has done for you, Dr. Deborah? I'll say... Um, from my personal life and then for my professional life. For my personal life, uh, my, my parents have been supportive mm. my entire life. And I would see that that is an act of kindness because I recognize that that's not the case in all families and I'm forever grateful for their support. Um, for my professional life, um, it comes with a little story if you're okay with it. Absolutely, go ahead. So. Something that changed my life considerably was getting into veterinary school because that's when I heard about One Health and that's when my life made sense, right? So um, thing is, to get into veterinary school, it's very difficult. And I applied the first year. I don't get in. Don't get in, but that's fine because you try again and there's grit there, right? 
And so I tried again and I, uh, I did the interview and then I woke up one morning very early. It was like, well, early for me, like six in the morning. That's early for me. <laughs> and uh, on the computer, I'm supposed to enter in a password and see if I get accepted or I get rejected from this veterinary school. And I open it up and it says, call us. I was like, what on earth is this? I was like, my heart was about to burst. Ultimately, what happened in the end is that out of the two interview interviewers, one person wanted to accept me. The other person wanted to reject me. Mm. The act of kindness that I'm referring to is the person who wanted to accept me convinced the rest of the admissions committee to call me back for a second interview. And fortunately, I was successful with that second interview. But that is something that, number one, I don't know who it was to you know, push that. But I'm forever grateful because that one action truly changed my life. Wonderful. Yeah, that's very true. Dr. Deborah, it has been fantastic talking to you about science communication and about One Health and, and all the other topics that we talked about. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me as a guest in this particular podcast. It's been such a pleasure, Joseph. Thank you so much for the invitation. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please share what you liked in the conversation and tag us on the social media. Thank you very much. Have life of Vince.